Good morning. Uh, my name is Alan Fadling. Glad to be able to spend the third Sunday of Easter together as a community. I love that we, we get seven weeks, not just one, to celebrate that he has risen. And we'll enjoy these seven weeks of Sundays leading up to eventually Pentecost Sunday. And in these weeks, we're focusing on resurrection, a new life of love. As a focus, we're remembering that the essence of the risen life is love. The essence of the risen life is love. Living a risen life is living in Jesus' way of love. Now, like me, you live in Southern California, unless you're visiting from out of town. And maybe you've had an experience similar to one that I've had more than once that sort of captures the chronic hurry of our region. The word, it's a made-up word, the word is gronk. It's a contraction of the word green and the word honk. And it's a word that means the nanosecond between the green light in front of me and the honk behind me. <laughs> Has this ever happened to you? It's essential impatience. It's an utter lack of kindness. It's a deficit of love, as hurry often is. And so in our culture today, in the light of this idea that the essence of the new life, the risen life, is love, is something that I think we need to remember, and that is that love is unhurried, and that love is often expressed in simple little ways, like patience, like kindness. These are what Francis de Sales called the little virtues, not only patience and kindness, but virtues like humility, gentleness, Simplicity, honesty, hospitality, little virtues. They're little because they're not the virtues that make headlines. If you get on your news feed, these are not the qualities that you read about, are they? These are not the stories that you're mostly hearing. And yet, if the essence of the risen life is love, then at least in part, these little virtues are going to increasingly become a description of our lives, become increasingly even the essence of our lives. But for that to happen is going to require the risen life of Jesus, the risen life of the one who describes himself as gentle and humble in heart. And so wouldn't it make sense as we spend time with him as he makes himself more at home in us, these qualities, these simple little virtues will become more and more at home in us. And we might find the joy, the energy, the vitality of living in the risen life of love. There isn't a better life than that. There aren't any better options than that for us. In our gospel text, Jesus gets at the essence of this at the very beginning of our reading. You remember what it said? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus is saying, love is at the center of who I am. Love is the essence of our relationship. 
Love is the greatest life there is. Love is how my friends live. Love is the great commandment. And in his letter, as we read a bit earlier, John says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment. It's an old commandment. You've had it from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. But at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So he said, it's not a new commandment. I mean, it's as old as Moses. It's as old as creation. It's as ancient as the very being of God. This is not a new idea that comes along in the first century. And yet, John says, but it is a new commandment. It's new in the way we see it expressed in the life of Jesus. Jesus makes it fresh. Jesus makes it vital. It's new in emphasis. Jesus helps us see that everything God wants for us and from us really is summed up in love. It really is. The commandment is new in intensity. Remember the line in our readings? Greater love has no one than this, to give up his life for his friends. And this is what Jesus has done. And in these weeks of resurrection, we're remembering that the essence of his risen life is love. It's new invisibility. We've never seen love like we saw in Jesus. Never. The love of God was and is made plain in and through him. And in the Gospels, we see the love of God shining brightly in who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And finally, this commandment is new in breadth because Jesus expands its meaning and its application. He talks about loving enemies. This is a kind of love we didn't expect. Surely not a love that comes as naturally as the love between a parent and a child. That just happens. That just rises up in you. You almost can't help it. Loving your enemies, that doesn't bubble up in me immediately. I have to learn that from the master, from the one who is risen, the one whose life, the essence of his life, is love. And so this great commandment hasn't changed in thousands of years. And it wasn't an arbitrary decision on the part of God to make this one the greatest one. It's like Father, Son, and Spirit had a council, and they had 10 options, and they voted on the whiteboard. Which one should we make the greatest one? The greatest commandment is the greatest commandment because God is love. Love is the absolute essence of all that God has made. Love is the engine by which this creation was meant to move. And the longer we live our lives in this kingdom that is ruled by love, the more our lives will be moved by the energy of love. But wouldn't you say that we live in a world that has different ideas about what the great commandment is, about what matters most, about what you ought to arrange your life around? Aren't there at least a few competing great commandments in the world in which we live? And don't at least sometimes those other great commandments tempt you or sort of bubble up from some unformed part of you that's still taking shape in Jesus? 
Doesn't that happen to you a little bit like it does for me? Think about some of those competing great commandments. I think of one like, be right. Does that one show up at all in our world today? Be right. I'm right, you're wrong. We're right, they're wrong. It's a distorted vision of my opinion as reality. Truth matters, but even at the heart of truth is love. A concern and a care for the genuine well-being of the other, instead of a battle against the other who is wrong against my right. Love is the greatest commandment. Well, there's another great commandment out there. Be rich. It's almost as though one would say, you know, I'm sorry, Jesus, but I think you're wrong. My life actually does consist in the abundance of my possessions. The more I have, the happier I am, and the more alive I am. That is a great commandment driving a lot of people's lives, isn't it? Every decision they make, every intention they have, gets driven by this great commandment they've taken on and come to trust. A third one, be impressive. It's the trap of social media, isn't it? You've got to broadcast an endless stream of all the amazing things you're doing and all the great people you know and all the exciting things that are happening in your life. I don't know about you, but I find it exhausting. I mean, literally exhausting. Be impressive is a draining great commandment to commit yourself to. And when a person chooses one of these as the greatest commandment of their lives in place of the great commandment of love, it shapes their emotions it shapes their thoughts, and especially shapes their will. And so instead of cultivating a will to love others and to act actively care for their good, they develop a self-promoting will to manage the perceptions that others have of them. Or they develop a self-serving will to take whatever they can from the other. Or they cultivate a self-authorizing will to prove that their own opinions are in fact reality. And when we choose one of these as our greatest commandment, it always does harm to our souls and to the souls of the people that cross our paths. There's only one greatest commandment, and it's the essence of the risen life of love. So loving God and then caring for others was always meant to be our operating system. This was how we were to live, because this is who God is, and this is the one in whose image we are made. This is meant to be our engine. This is meant to be our orientation. This is meant to be our vision. This is our life. So, as we take this great commandment of love, and we look through those lenses at, for example, our time, what would a great commandment vision of time look like? And it might look like this. Time is love. Time is a resource that I can share with others for their good. But what would you say is the common cultural vision of time? You could probably finish the sentence. Time is money. Time is scarce. Time is mine. I need to get the most out of it as I can. But if the great commandment is love, then living my moments and living my days and living my life in love for others is the way I might invest my time well. But the vision of time is money drives us and it accelerates us 
it hurries us. And it does harm to us. And it doesn't help many others either. What I've had to wrestle with for myself is that if hurry gets in the way of living a loving life, which is going to go? The hurry or the love? I wrestle with this. I'm in recovery in this. Love is unhurried. Think of the very first word in the, that great chapter of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He begins listing words. Love is, love is, love is. What was the first one? Love is patient. Back to those little virtues. It's a great commandment. It just gets expressed in little, tiny, ordinary ways. Like patience and kindness. Like hospitality and humility. There's a Japanese theologian by the name of Kosuke Koyama who wrote in the last century this about the unhurried nature of love. He said, God walks slowly because God is love. If God were not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed it is slow, and yet it is Lord over all other speed, since it is the speed of love. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, whether we are currently hit by storm or not, at three miles an hour. It is the speed we walk, and therefore, it is the speed that the love of God walks. The greatest commandment. The essence of the risen life is love, and love is unhurried. I want to tell you a little story. In the fall of 1991, I was a part of a team of people who were preparing to go to Kiev, Ukraine. We were going to train some house church leaders. In the months previous, actually, an Anglican evangelist by the name of John Guest had come through and had had some crusades and thousands of Ukrainians were responding to Jesus. And in the city of Kiev, there were about six Protestant churches. What are you going to do to help these fresh followers of Jesus learn to grow in him and be a part of communities? And so we went in part to try to help. Now remember that in the fall of 1991, that's when the Soviet system was crumbling. September was the month that Gorbachev went down to the Black Sea, essentially in exile. And it was within those weeks that we traveled there. It was partly scary and partly thrilling to come into Kiev and to see statues of Lenin that were either torn down or graffitied beyond recognition as an expression of the anger and the angst and the struggle and really the absolute lack of love as the great commandment in that particular system. And I remember one evening... We were essentially talking about this great commandment to love. And the line from Scripture we were unpacking for these 30 or so men and women was this little phrase, encourage one another. Seems innocuous, doesn't it? Who could have a problem with that? Encourage one another. Remember one of the men, one of the older men, stood, and he said some things that we didn't understand until the interpreter stepped up for us. And essentially this is what he said. You are Americans, and so you don't know what things are like here in the Ukraine. We have lived for generations with distrust and suspicion between us. We don't know who we can trust. So we don't encourage each other. Ukrainians don't do that. What do you say to that? 
I mean, I understand exactly, well, I don't understand, not exactly, but I feel what he's saying. I felt like the whole night was just going to go bonk, the end. Won't be training any house church pastors this week. One of the senior members of our team, Chuck, took a moment and then he responded very gently and very simply. It can be very hard when we have to choose between being Ukrainians and being followers of Jesus. Silence. Everyone's thinking. And a moment later, Chuck suggested this. I wonder if we could take the risk to encourage one another in this room in response to the invitation of Jesus. Would you be willing to try that? Would you be willing to turn to somebody you're sitting next to and just say a word of encouragement to them as a way of following Jesus? In this room, we're safe. Would you give that a try? There were some nervous faces. They felt very uncomfortable. And then we saw a couple of people stand and start talking to each other. Then we saw smiles began to erupt on faces. And then laughter. And then Ukrainian bear hugs. And then kisses on one another's cheeks. And then kisses on my cheek, which then made me realize there's some things Americans don't do either. (laughs) There was something about catching a vision of Jesus. The essence of the risen life is love. There was something about this that became an awakening place for them. And sometimes in our culture, there are great commandments, competing great commandments, that as North Americans have taken a hold, have captured our vision, have captured our energy, have driven our activities, have soaked into our assumptions, have soaked into our expectations. But again and again and again, in a gentle, patient, humble, and kind way, Jesus keeps coming to us. The risen one says, there is a fresh commandment for you. It is the greatest one. There isn't a better one than this. It is the commandment to love. It is my posture toward you, he would say. He looks at you right now and says, you are my dear friend. You are my beloved. And as my friend, Let's live that way, together, in your world. Let's find more and more deeply that, in fact, the essence of the risen life is love. Now, as we take a few moments for quiet reflection, in what way might Jesus be inviting you, in some fresh expression, to live in his friendship, and then out of that friendship, to express love to the people in your life? How might he be inviting you to remember that the essence of the risen life that we remember in these weeks is love? Let's take a few moments in quiet to offer God the gift of our attention, to sit as listeners in the presence of God, and let God be with us. For just a few moments, let's be quiet.